Hi, I'm Kim, and I'm a compulsive overeater. And a really, really grateful member of Overeaters Anonymous. Food was my primary addiction, my first love, my first escape. It's plagued me my entire life, and to be free of the obsession and the compulsion of compulsive overeating in this moment today is the greatest miracle of my life. Um, I, I think the first time I remember compulsively overeating, I was probably about three years old, and I ate like a whole bag of fun-sized candy bars at my grandma's house until I got sick. Like, normal three-year-olds don't eat until they get sick. And um, my mom said when I was even an infant that like, until she stopped feeding me, I would not stop eating. So, I mean, I really believe that I was always a compulsive overeater. Like, my brain doesn't have an off switch when it comes to food or really any other substance. I'm an addict, and food is my primary addiction. Um, I do like to mention, you know, that I'm also a compulsive over drinker, a compulsive over drug user, a compulsive over smoker, a compulsive over sexer, a compulsive over shopper, because I think it's important to know those things because when I put the food down, other things, you know what I mean, like other things can start to pop up. It's like a game of whack-a-mole. So I think that it's important to mention that, that other addictive behaviors can, can um, pop up in conjunction with the food. Um, I didn't know that my whole life I ate to escape from emotions and feelings that were uncomfortable to me. Um, as a kid, now they probably would diagnose me with social anxiety disorder or some kind of panic disorder, and I didn't know I had that. You know, I grew up on a farm, um, my grandpa's cattle farm, so I had a very sheltered life for the first five years that was nice. But it didn't involve any social interaction, so I didn't know I had all the problems I had until I got around other people. You know, kindergarten was tough, man. It was tough. All those people asking me questions and wanting to be my friend. And, you know, I didn't know other kids didn't run around feeling like that. Like, oh, my God, don't ask me a question. I don't know the answer. They're going to think I'm stupid. I'm ugly. I'm not smart enough. I'm not enough. I'm, you know, my disease of compulsive overeating lives right here. And it tells me I'm not enough. I'm not smart enough, thin enough, rich enough, pretty enough, whatever enough. And if you really get to know me, you're going to throw me away because I don't have any worth. Low self-esteem is, is the basis of my disease. And that's what I ate over for a really long time. And, you know, when I was a kid, it, it, like sugar. Like I look back at my childhood, sugar is my primary addiction. Um, my best friend's parents owned a Dairy Queen. It's the reason I was her best friend. I got free ice cream. That's true. You know, I would ride my bike to the 7-Eleven for, for nickel candy and, like, gather my change and how much, do, how much can I get? You know, I didn't even know I was getting my fix on. Other people went to the swimming pool or the ballpark for baseball games to socialize and, and play sports and swim and things. I went to the concession stand. You know, it's like, do I have enough money for Twizzlers and a moon pie? Like, my whole life was planned around when I got to eat, what I got to eat, who saw me eat it. And, and that's the way it went throughout my entire life. I'm a huge yo-yo dieter. Like, um, I think my, the top weight I remember weighing in was 207, but I'd been dieting to go back to Weight Watchers, so I was probably closer to 220 because my size 20s were tight. 
and, and the lowest I've weighed is like 120 pounds in adulthood and slammed back and forth, you know, up and down between those numbers. And, you know, all my other addictions, like not everybody in the whole world knew about it. So there's some additional shame to the compulsive overeating because every, everybody who ever met me knew. It's like I would walk in a room and people that knew me would either be like, oh, my God, you look amazing or like, Oh, my God, because I gained 80 pounds in six months. You know what I mean? And so um, from a very early age, my parents started trying to help me with my weight. You know, help me. Don't eat that. You shouldn't have that. You're going to get fat. If you lose weight, I'll buy you new clothes. You know, and, and they really thought they were helping, but that we all know that, that that doesn't really help. But it's nobody's fault that I'm a compulsive overeater. I mean, it's the way I'm wired. I have the brain of an addict. And, um, and it really was a great coping. It worked. Like, they call, they call it comfort food because it's comforting. And it comforted me. And it worked for a really, really long time. And um, the weight was always my excuse. You know what? I'll, I'll get a better job when I get the weight off. I'll look for a partner, you know, and maybe get married someday when I'm thin. You know, I, I was waiting to start my life when I got thin. And, and the weight was really a protective barrier against the world. Like, I didn't want you to be attracted to me. I didn't want you to pay attention to me. I didn't want you to talk to me. And so fat was always, yeah, he doesn't like me because I'm fat. I didn't get the job because I'm fat. She doesn't want to be my friend because I'm fat. And so that, that was like my go-to excuse for everything. And I look back, and it was such a, such a cop-out for living my life. And one of the greatest things about abstinence is just being present in the moment now. And it doesn't mean that I'm not afraid but it, it means I'm not paralyzed in my life anymore. I can still take the next right action anyway. And, um, you know, like I said, I yo-yo dieted up and down. <clears throat> I actually um, got clean and sober in another program and was actively working the 12 steps for 10 years and totally had blinders on about the food. I was still, you know, gaining and losing 40, 60 pounds every couple years, working the steps, but not... I would give up everything harming me except food. It was like my last comfort. Like, I can't believe you want me to give up cupcakes, too. Like, it was my right to hang on to that. And you know what? It was my right to hang on to that until the pain outweighed the comfort. And I think that that's when we finally surrender in this program and get abstinent. When the, when the soul-crushing pain of food addiction outweighs any comfort or relief or escape, like it just stops working. Like there is no comfort. There is no relief. There is no escape anymore. And I remember coming into my first OA meeting in 2010 and um, having a panic attack for the first time you know, since early sobriety, like just walking in and being like, oh, my God, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't give up the food. I don't want to be here. And just like staring at the door the whole meeting. I didn't hear anything anybody said. And thank God you all said, you know, go to six meetings, different meetings. See if you hear what you need. See if it works for you. Try it out. Try it on for size. And, um, and I'm really, really, really grateful that I didn't run away. I have one abstinence date. It's November 13th of 2010. I'm way more afraid of a cupcake than a cosmopolitan martini, and that's why I've kept the same abstinence state. But I also came in 
with a working knowledge of the 12 step and an understanding the 12 steps and an understanding of addiction. So when I got here, there was there was no. I don't really know if I have any alcoholic foods. You know, I really don't. Like I've had conversations with some of my sponsees, and I'm like, what? Really? Like, like I knew what my alcoholic foods were beyond the shadow of a doubt. So I got here November um, 2010. My abstinence is no recreational sugar of, of any kind. If you know, if it looks like dessert, it's none of my business. Um, and chips and crackers, anything salty and crunchy in a bag or a box, I I ate those in in like food blackouts. Like I'd get to the bottom and have cheesy dust on my fingers and be like, where'd it go? Like I literally couldn't believe it was all gone. You remember that feeling where you like think there are a couple more left and you reach and it's empty? You're like, oh. I would have loved it more if I would have known that was my last one. And um, for a girl like me to be standing here six and a half years later, not having put a piece of cake or a Dorito in my mouth for six and a half years, and not even thinking about it most days is astounding to me. That was not my experience in early abstinence, however. Um, you know, my abstinence has always been none of those three foods. My, um, my food plan has always been three meals and two optional snacks. Right now it's three meals and three snacks. Um, and that's, that's the same, but it's totally different. There have been times, I mean, I've never broken my abstinence, but don't think that there haven't been times that my meals haven't gotten bigger or smaller, that my snacks haven't gotten sexier or more reasonable, you know. There have been times I'm like, well, let me see. The fruit plus the yogurt plus the granola plus the chopped nuts as a snack. Jesus, that's a 600-calorie snack. I think that's a meal. You know what I mean? So I think it's important to say that I haven't done it perfectly for six and a half years, but, but I don't break my bottom line abstinence no matter what. And even when the behaviors get a little... You know, I, I start thinking I'm getting away with something. It's time to talk about it. Like right now, it's coffee. I gave up caffeine about a year and a half ago because I wouldn't answer the phone. I got a work phone call, and um, I was like, I can't answer the phone and talk to her. I haven't had any coffee yet. Uh, and, you know, I was slamming like three, four-shot lattes and energy drinks in the afternoon. And for someone prone to anxiety, that's probably just not a good idea anyway. Like, I don't know why. I'm just a little wound up. But so I gave up caffeine, and so and then I kind of like, well, I can have an occasional decaf latte as a treat. That's fine. And then lately it's been like, well, green tea only has 40 milligrams of caffeine, so I can have a green tea. Well, if I have one shot of half-caf in my latte, it's like a little bit of a pick-me-up or... You know what? I'm an addict. Like, I can, I can play that game all day long. Is it causing me soul-crushing pain today? No. Could it be if I had to detox off caffeine like a heroin addict the last time I did it? Sugar was the same way. I don't know about you. Sugar and caffeine both, like my hands were shaking and I had this piercing headache. Like someone stabbed me with ice picks in the eyeballs. And like I, my thinking was foggy and I was bitchy. And just, I mean, I was detoxing. I'm a drug addict. And so um, I, I'm welcome to repeat that experience if that's, if that's the research I feel like I need to do. But um, I hope I don't have to. Um, recently, my blood pressure went back up. I'm like working out. I'm at 
dull weight, my blood pressure goes back up for no reason. I started working with a clinical nutritionist, taking some supplements and, you know, making some modifications. But I also started, I went on a really clean food plan. You'd be amazed to know that everything cheesy and delicious is high in sodium. So I had to watch my sodium and, um, and I, through watching my sodium because my blood pressure ended up being a blessing is what I'm trying to say. High blood pressure meant I really cleaned up my food plan more than I ever have in the six and a half years that I've been here. And, and I lost a little more weight and got in the best shape of my life accidentally because I was trying to get my blood pressure down. And I got my blood pressure down. So, um, you know, there are different levels of willingness at different times in abstinence. Like in early abstinence, I lost the first 50 or 60 pounds, you know, eating big, giant meals. I mean, you know, bacon and eggs and toast with butter for breakfast and like a big pile of spaghetti and meat sauce with garlic bread for lunch. Like meals that are too big and I wouldn't eat today. And I lost the first 50 or 60 pounds. And I'm thinking, I've been on Weight Watchers and I never lost weight like that. How did, how did I lose that weight? Well, when I was on Weight Watchers, I would, you know, count my little skinny points all day long and then hide in the closet and eat a whole cheesecake on Saturday. You'd be amazed to know that if you're not eating whole cheesecakes and pans of brownies, that you actually lose weight faster than if you're dieting and binging. And um, so... So it's, it's looked a little different, but the, the food plan and abstinence has been the same the entire time. Um, I've talked about the food, but you know what? The spiritual program of recovery is where the answer is. I came in, you know, with low self-esteem, full of self-hatred and anxiety and unresolved resentments from my childhood. And, you know, they say that if you want to figure out what you're eating over, stop eating. And that is the truth because... I had no idea how many penned-up emotions I was pushing down with the food. My whole for 43 years, you know, stop pushing that down for 43 years, and and a lot of stuff starts coming up, and and it's okay. Like there have been a few times that I thought emotions were going to kill me, like literally thought emotions were going to kill me. Like I can't take this, but you know, it hasn't killed me. Emotions won't kill us. Compulsive overeating will absolutely kill me. It wasn't killing me as quickly as some of the other substances I chose, but it was killing me every day my entire life. I was on four or five different medications when I got here, a couple for depression and anxiety, um, high blood pressure, acid reflux. What else? Oh, I was, you know, had some pelvic problems from gaining and losing so much weight. You know, the doctor's like, how many babies have you had? And I'm like, none. <laughs> I like, just gained 60 or 80, 90 pounds a few dozen times. <laughs> and I also think it's important to talk about the physical recovery a little bit, too. The spiritual recovery is what makes my life better. The physical recovery, though, to, to be healthy and strong and in, feel like I belong in this body today is amazing. And um, one, in early abstinence, I heard a woman speak, and she had a lot of loose skin on her arms. And I'll never forget her in my whole life because she said, I call these my angel wings because every morning when I get dressed, I realize how blessed I am to be at a healthy body weight and, and how beautiful this body is. Thank you, God. And I was like, that's the most beautiful thing I've ever heard, and I am so not there with you. Um, I mean, part, part of my journey has been, you know, getting all of the loose skin tucked up. And I, 
first I was ashamed that my that my body was fat and then I was ashamed that my body was deformed when I lost the weight and then I was ashamed to tell you that I had a surgery because it sounded vain you know what I'm done with being ashamed of any of it I was ashamed I drove a crappy car and then I got a nice car on my 50th birthday then I was like well is it too nice are people gonna think I'm vain you know what I'm done I'm done with self-judgment and shame like the beauty of this program is being present in life and just getting to show up and be the best version of me that I can be and be kind and loving and be of service and be myself and and let all the love in you know I was so worried about what other people thought of me my whole life like I just want to be enough I want you to like me I want you to want me you know what there are so many people that love me and want me around but I get to focus on those people today and not the two people that I worked with 10 years ago that don't like me. For, why, why do you want to get nude for all the time? You're just kind of chirpy. You're irritating. Like, uh, you know, I don't have to worry about the people that don't like me because I, I get to focus on all of you that do love me. And the beauty of Overeaters Anonymous is that you guys get me to the core. Like, other people think I'm crazy. You know, other people, I was at a, a party and I got some... Um, like super sweet special melon that's all only in season once a year and so I cut it up and I take it to the party and I'm like I'm like a fiend it might have well been a bowl of chocolate chip cookies I'm like I want some more of that melon and you know I told my friends my normal friends and they were like it's fruit like what the hell are you talking about <laughs> melon who can but you guy I can come in here and say you know I, I had a little slippery moment with a melon and you're like oh yeah yeah I get it, I get it. And um, the unconditional love in this program is such a great way to learn self-love. Because when I was heavy, you loved me. When I was thin, you loved me. When I gained a little weight back, you still loved me. Like, the love is unconditional. And, and the solution is right here in this room whenever I'm willing to do the work and pick up the tools and, and, and do whatever I need to do for more freedom. Like... You know, like I can't have the melon right now, then that's okay. But, but the results and the quality of life are, you know, a direct correlation of how much work I'm doing today. You know, not long ago, I sponsor a lot of women, and not long ago, my sponsor was like, well, you realize that, um, walking other women through the steps isn't actively working the steps yourself, right? And I was like, well, damn, but I'm talking about all the steps and, oh, I need to do some writing myself. So, you know, I picked up the book Drop the Rock and um, and got to start taking a look at my character defects. And, you know, the big ones have kind of faded away into the background because of the 12 steps of recovery but I, I still got to take a look at some of the judgment and self-righteousness and and behaviors that aren't working in my life anymore I um, you know being addicted to my cell phone for instance like having it on the dashboard and kind of maybe looking up when when there's um, when there's a text message and I you know I did some writing about this and went and talked to my sponsor and I'm like you know I drank and drove for years and never killed anybody am I going to kill someone glancing up at a text message on a phone because I can't stop myself from doing that and it's like well sister if you need to put your phone in the trunk or whatever you need to do then do it and um, five minutes and 
I, I got to write about my romantic relationship, how I was settling for less than I deserved, and um, making excuses for someone else's behavior. And two days later, he said, oh, by the way, I don't want to be in a relationship, and I'm moving out. Thank God I was doing the work on me. You know what I mean? I get to keep my side of the street clean. I keep getting to work on me. And, you know, lately I've been having some um, health challenges. I needed a little surgery. I've been wildly uncomfortable and in some pain for a couple months. My mom has been sick. The guy moved out. And my life is still the best it's ever, ever been because of the program of Overeaters Anonymous, because of my abstinence, and because of all of you. And to have the tools that I have because of this program to walk through those things with dignity and grace instead of kicking and screaming and eating. I mean, in a, in a time like this, I probably would have packed on 60 pounds in a few months. And I don't have to do that today, no matter what. I don't have to pick up the food today, no matter what. And, you know, if there's a food you're struggling with or a behavior that's comforting that you don't want to give up but it's causing you pain, like all I tell the woman I sponsor is there's so much freedom on the other side. Like, you know, I, I let go of everything with claw marks in it. No, I'm not ready. I don't want to. And then I get to the other side and I have more freedom and I have more connection and I have more God and I have all of you. And, and it's always always worth doing the work um, you know I have a career that I love today I have great relationships with my family I have friends that would take a bullet for me I mean when I had my little surgery 25 women and men called me and texted me like what can I bring you what do you need how can I help you and, and that's normal in my life today and I shut out all of that love and support with my disease for years. And now I get to let all of that love and support in. And I get to, to pay it forward and give it away. There is no more joyful feeling in the world than walking another woman through the steps of Overeaters Anonymous, helping her figure out her abstinence and her food plan so she can have some freedom too. And seeing the light come on and them let the love in and see their lives transform and change is amazing and it's not just you know what the physical transformation is awesome I like being healthy and feeling good but the spiritual emotional the psychic change of working the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous is miraculous I feel like I feel like I'm the person God always intended for me to be like the real me got to step out and step into my life and be present now because the person the person I verbally physically abused with food the person that I treated so poorly the person that I didn't let live her life you know I, I have compassion for that girl and apparently I needed to take every bite of food I took during those years to be willing to do the work I needed to do today to live my life in abstinence and recovery um, you know I, I go to two or three meetings a week I'm, I'm a double winner Actually, I qualify for most programs, but, but I go to two or three meetings in both programs a week. I sponsor other women. I, I have a sponsor. I check in with her a couple times a week. Um, I don't report my food right now. I have in the past, and I will again if I feel like I need to. Um, you know, I'm, I'm accountable for my choices, and I, I don't have to feel like I need to get away with anything today. What can I manipulate and 
you know, scheme and scam to get away with, it, well, if I put this on it, it tastes like dessert, even though, it, like, I don't have to do that today. And to go out to dinner and, like, let other people eat, eat their food, it's other people's food, like, have your food. It's the same as a cocktail. It's, that's theirs. It's not mine either. And um, this weekend, my, my niece and my little brother are in town. She wanted to come see me before she starts college. Like, I, I get to be a good influence in other people's lives. Even young, Like, no one wanted me around their kids when I was younger. <laughs> I was not a good influence. And, um, and to get to spend the weekend at the beach with her and, um, and have her want to spend time with me at 18 years old before she starts college is such a gift. And to get to go enjoy the beach today, to just like throw on a swimsuit and go live my life and have fun instead of laying on my back and sucking in my gut and figuring out how to negotiate to not hate myself quite as much, it is going to be awesome. Um, I can't imagine how I live my life without Overeaters Anonymous, and I'm happy that I don't have to. Thank you for this gift. This is time for questions only. There's no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader, they're my own and not those of the program of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. Um, when asking questions, you do not need to identify yourself. If being recorded, yeah, we're being recorded, so if you don't want to identify yourself, you don't have to. Please remember, if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. If being recorded, please restate the question after it's asked. When I forget to do that, you guys will, remember, will remind me, right? Okay, excellent. So that's a question. Yes? Thank you. Um, before when being fat was an excuse for everything that you didn't get or have, how, how do you deal with not getting it and having things once you weren't? So the question was, is when being fat was an excuse for not getting what I wanted, how did I deal with not getting what I wanted? I ate. I ate and shoved down more feelings. Um, you know, I just feel like I lived my life in a fog and in limbo when I was in the food, <clears throat> which kind of just made it okay to just float around through life. It's like, <clears throat> I think part of, of my addict mentality is wanting great things but not being willing to do the work for them, you know. I was a singer. I played the piano. I wanted to be Pat Benatar, but I didn't want to practice, you know, things like that. So I think that the part of my disease is, is you know, wanting all the glory and wanting great things but not being able or willing to do the work for them. And in recovery, through working the 12 steps, I can suit up and show up and just take the next right action. I mean, as an addict, I want to, like, figure out the whole rest of my life and plan it and go out there and do it now, and that still doesn't work either. Like, all I have to figure out is the next right action. Like, I want to run a triathlon. Well, why don't you just get up and go to Pilates this morning? You know what I mean? It's like, what's the next right action? I hope that answered your question. Yes? Um. So you committed during another program, so obviously you had a higher power in that program. Um, but how did you come to be and did you have to change your higher power did and yeah, the question is, um, what is my higher power in Overeaters Anonymous and how has it changed from my original higher power? 
Um, I grew up in a, in a Pentecostal church, like fire and brimstone, and you know, was pretty sure I was going to go to hell for stealing a pack of gum when I was five years old my whole life. And um, so my original concept of God was, was the, this punishing force you know, that was keeping score in my life. And I'm not saying that's what my organized, my organized religion is, is full of love and joy and music and connection and beautiful things. But, but I still had a feeling of a punitive God. And um, I definitely, through the 12 steps in my first program, found a higher power. And at first it was other people who, in the room who were willing and able to do things that I wasn't capable of doing. Um, I, didn't, I, didn't, I still didn't even like the word God. To me today, God... It, it's not a deity in the sky. God is love, connection, beauty, joy, animals, nature, love, like that energy between all of us that that connects us all and keeps us as part. I mean, we're all part of one thing to me. And um, so, so my concept of God, I guess it's just shifted to a more loving presence in my life. Um, I mean, why would God love me and want to punish me for my for my action? I'm the only one that ever punished me. Like I thought I had a punishing God. I didn't. I punished me. I punished me verbally. I punished me physically. And um, and today, you know, God is love. I see. If I can't, there are times that I have a hard time finding God when I get into self-will, and all I have to do is show up in a meeting and lock eyeballs with all of you and connect with God again. Yes. Do you have a moment being in one twelve step program already where you said enough with the food and is that the moment that got you in? What's your getting in story? So the the question is what was my getting in story for Overeaters Anonymous? Or is there a moment of clarity when I was already in recovery in another program where the light bulb went on? And absolutely yes there was. I was um, I was celebrating ten years of sobriety and my sponsor in the other program had secretly flown my mom in from Kansas City. My mom came to town. Um, they had a surprise party for me. And there were like a hundred people there who loved me, celebrating my 10 years of recovery. And I was drinking sugary sodas and eating like tablefuls of dessert stuff. And I was so high. And everyone was hugging me and loving me and congratulating me. And I was like, would they stop hugging me and cut the damn cake? Why is everyone hugging me? Cut the cake! And I don't know why I still ate compulsively in recovery for 10 years and the light bulb never went on. But that one moment I was like, oh my God, I'm still a junkie. I am still a junkie. To the core of my very being, I'm still a junkie. And the light bulb went on. And if you're in this room, I'm sorry that your eating is probably ruined now because, like, once the cat's out of the bag, once I had that understanding and realization that I am an addict with food, I can't unknow that. And I can't think, well, I'll just have this sexy thing and it'll be, you know, I, I know, I know I'm an addict. And I'm, I'm so grateful for that moment of clarity. I don't know why it was that day, but um, it was another God shot. I think God shows up for me 100% when I'm, when I'm ready. When the student is ready, the teacher appears. In the back. Thank you so much.
food was listed and all the rest of the people's behaviors were gone, what came up and how did you work through that? Okay, so the question is, once the food was lifted and the compulsive behaviors, um, what else came up and um, how did I handle that? Um, the, food, the food was lifted as far as not eating my alcoholic foods, but I think it, it, it took a while for this to become my normal way of life, for me not to like think about what I could get away with if there was a sexier option and I mean so I mean the food wasn't magically lifted I think it's food is so much more cunning baffling and powerful to me than other substances because it's everywhere there's I mean every social situation is around food I have to ask a lot of questions about food because you know there have been times that I don't know for sure what's in food um, so the food can always be an issue but once I stopped binge eating and got to deal with my feelings. You know, I stopped harming other people working the 12 steps in another program. I stopped harming myself working the 12 steps in Overeaters Anonymous, if that, if that makes sense. I mean, the person that I owed the largest amends to, which is my living amends, was to me because, you know, I'd walk around calling myself a fat bitch and stupid and, like, I really was horrible to myself and working the steps, I stopped doing that. Um, what else came up? Everything else. Yeah, one thing that was amazing to me, though, compulsively eating sugar and shopping, I didn't know that they were intertwined. Like when I was high on sugar, I was like, i got to have the handbag, i got to have this booth, i got to have it. And when I stopped eating sugar, like that, that compulsive shopping thing, I'm like, those are pretty, but whatever. I was like, oh, my God. I mean, that's crazy. But, I mean, I think all our addictions are kind of intertwined. But then... You know, the people-pleasing, low self-esteem esteem stuff is what I really had to work on. You know, my sponsor in my first inventory was like, oh, you're a people-pleaser with low self-esteem. And I was like, oh, my God, I am. And so, like, you know, settling for less than I deserved in a relationship with my boyfriend is a good example. Or finding out people I work with that had less experience and didn't work as hard as me made more money because they asked for it. You know, things like that and learning to step up and take care of myself. And self-care is a huge part of my recovery that I learned in Overeaters Anonymous, whether that's having healthy boundaries with people, whether they're healthy or not, whether it's making, you know, good food choices, like that I am worth the effort of taking care of and the space I take up in the world is just as important as anybody else's. Yes. Thank you, Kim. What do you do on, let's say, a daily basis to maintain your spiritual my spiritual growth um, on a good day I pray and meditate in the morning before work um, I don't do it every day and I, that's how I know for sure I'm an addict like this changes my life in a profound and powerful way it's amazing I don't really have time today you know like only an addict thinks that way so prayer and meditation and I used to judge prayer and meditation like it had to be 20 minutes with quiet music and candles you know what, if, if I can shut my office door and just say, God, guide my, guide my thinking and actions today and get quiet for a minute, that's, that can be enough. Like, it's, it's, it's connection. I pray for God's will, and then if I'm too busy racing around, I can't hear the answers. Like, I have to get quiet to hear the answers. Um, I take guidance from my sponsor, who's very direct, and sometimes I don't like it. And um, and she's usually right. 
Um, I sponsor a lot of other women that I connect with daily. Um, my daily reading now is, is Drop the Rock. I try to be in, in some program literature, meetings, um, planning my food. If, if, I, if I fail to plan, I plan to fail. Like me winging it can be a dangerous thing. And um, yeah, you know what? Like good healthy choices, good orderly direction is normal to me now. But it's taken me six and a half years to get where I am now. Like there was a time I had to, you know, pre-commit my food and plan and, and um, be a lot more militant about it. And if things get slippery, I've got to be willing to do those things again. And really any time that I feel squirrely, or disconnected from God or agitated or I'm like what was I doing yesterday that I'm not doing today when things were better and it, it's really that simple it's like oh I haven't been to a meeting in three days or oh I haven't called my sponsor in a couple of days you know like it's always obvious to me what I was doing before when I felt better How do I deal with resentments? Um, you know what? I had so many resentments early on, especially towards myself and my and my recovery in Overeaters Anonymous. And um, you know, I do the four column out of the AA Big Book resentment. Yeah, five minutes. Okay. You know, what's the problem? Or yeah, who am I resentful at? Why? What, what does it affect? And then I have to get to that fourth column. What is my part? And, you know, getting to my part is the most important part of working through any resentment because it's easy for me to point out what other people are doing wrong or other people need to change. But I, I play a part in everything, even if it's just staying in an unhealthy situation. That's been the one that I've really gotten to see, whether it's work or romance or whatever. You know, sometimes my part is staying in that situation not getting my needs met so if I'm staying in the same situation not getting my needs met whose fault is it that I'm not getting my needs met and um, I'm getting better at that but I, I still learn things the hard way you know I, and especially romance that's like the final frontier for me like friendships are great family relationships are great working relationships are great oh you want to date me <laughs> you know <laughs> so you know Learning to date in your late 40s. Now I'm 50, so I'm still learning to date at 50. Still working on it. Yes? Two-part question. One, what's your relationship with the scale, and is there a rebound when you see the number? And two, how did you talk about losing that first 60 pounds? And there must have been tremendous comfort and ease in your body, right? How, what propelled you to not be comfortable enough and lose the other 30 or 40. Okay, so the first question, well, I already forgot the first question. Yes. Oh, relationship with the scale. Relation, the question was, what is my relationship with the scale and do I freak out about the numbers? Oh my God, I'm a lunatic about numbers, all numbers, like about the, my weight, about the size of my pants, like how many calories is in it, how many grams of fat, like sugar like I, I'm a loon about I can't make it about numbers like as soon as I make it in about numbers I'm locked into diet mentality and I'm back to counting my Weight Watchers 
points like the, the hamster on the hamster wheel. And nothing, like the Weight Watchers is a great program for people to learn healthy eating. I, I know healthy eating, that's not my problem. So the scale still gets me in trouble. Um, going through this medical thing <clears throat> and, and really cleaning up my diet, I, um, I started losing weight and then I'm like, oh, this is, then this is my new goal weight. Well, this is my new goal weight. Well, I've got to stay at this weight now. And so, yeah, but I just have to keep turning that over to God and making the next healthy choice. My scale, I keep between the dresser and the, the wall not in my bathroom, but in the next room outside. Because if it's on the floor, I'll jump on it every day. I'll eat a meal and jump on it again to see if I weigh more after the meal than I weighed before. Of course you weigh more after a meal. And uh, what was the second part? How did you, when, after losing 60 pounds and being comfortable oh. in your body, how did you become willing to lose more weight? So, the, yeah, so the question was, I... You know, after losing the first 60 pounds and getting more comfortable in my body, how did I find the willingness to take off the rest of my weight, um, you know, further into my recovery? You know what? I'm, I'm ready when I'm ready. And like the first 60 pounds, when I got here, you know, I, I broke a sweat just trying to like bend over and tie my shoes. You know, I'd be grunting and, and huffing. And I, I just said, God, if I can just tie my shoes without getting sweaty, I will be so grateful. That's all I'll ever ask for. And, and I was a liar because then I asked for more. <laughs> and that was enough for a while. Just being able to tie my shoes or just like cutting up my Lane Bryant credit card and being able to walk into a normal store and buy a normal size was awesome. Um, and it wasn't even about losing the rest of the weight because I wanted to be thinner. It was giving up those additional food behaviors and sexy foods because I wanted to be freer. And so giving up those things that still cause mental obsession and craving and addictive behavior, the side benefit was the rest of the weight fell off. My, my sponsor kept saying, work the spiritual program of action and the food and weight will take care of itself. And I kept saying, no, what do I eat? How much? i got to measure. And she's like, no, it's the spiritual, and it's the spiritual program of action. And it, it's just fallen into place for me in a deeper level of recovery. Anyone else? Thank you very much. I'm figuring there's like under a minute left. Um, <laughs> I'll talk to you later. Okay, yeah, I'll talk to you after. Yeah. <laughs>